Hey guys, this is Erwin McManus, and I am here with our new podcast with my co-host, Aaron McManus. Aaron, say hi. Hi. <laughs> he is uh, really, really verbal, and sometimes we have to, we have to just shut him down. But uh, uh, as we get started, Aaron, we have a couple of giveaways today. Yeah, so for everybody watching on YouTube or the video podcast and for everybody listening, uh, we're going to give away a copy of The Last Arrow and a copy of Earl McManus's new book and a copy of Unknown by Mosaic MSC, our worship band at Mosaic. Uh, all you have to do is tag three friends in the comment section on Earl McManus's latest post. Uh, we're going to give a book and a record away each day and we'll DM you for details. Uh, we're excited about this. We just want to give and invest into your guys' life and kind of give you a glimpse into what we talk about on a daily basis and all of our conversations. So forgive us, but don't forget us. And this is Untitled, Unedited, Unrehearsed Father and Son Conversation. All right. And we're talking about what today? How to think. And more, more uniquely, how you think <laughs> and how different it is and how unique it is and how brilliant it is. And I think as young communicators, young people, one of the things that we are always wondering um, – is how do you do what you do? And I know a lot of it is that you always say it's the 30 years of studying, the 30 years of reading. People always always want to know, like, what books are you reading? Mm-hmm. And I think around 50, you kind of switched and said, I'm, I'm not really reading any more books except for the few friends that he has. <laughs> and, um, and I'm writing more books. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so cool that, that uh, like John Gray said, you have 5,000 books inside of your head and you don't need any <laughs> of us. And, some, and I hope we get 5,000 books out of you. So oh, thank you. today we're talking about what do you think, how do you think, and, if, and how to be a young communicator and think differently, diversely, and more uniquely yeah, each and every time. All the different kind of topics we're going to be addressing, whether it's uh, leadership or creativity or culture or church life or, or just family. living life. Family. Maybe we'll just have a fight on here every once in a while. Yeah. yeah. All those things are rooted in the thinking process, how we think. Right. And I was mentioning that uh, one of our friends who's a really great communicator sent me a text and he said, after listening to one of the talks, he said, how can I change how I preach? How can I preach like you preach? And I text him back and I said, to change how you preach, you have to change how you think. Wow. And that's why I want to just dive in. And we may do more than one episode on the podcast on this because I think this is such an important topic. Because when you're, when you're um, processing information, when you're making decisions, when you're uh, gathering perspective, uh, you're, it affects everything. Whether you're um, reading the Bible, studying the scriptures, or trying to hear what God is saying, or you're... Uh, trying to understand the political arena, what, what, you know, what, what do you um, believe about some issues like immigration or, or the environment or uh, social justice? And, and, uh, and, and one of the things that really would frustrate me is a lot of times uh, some of these big TV shows would call me up and ask me to come and, and, uh, and give an opinion on their show, but they would want me to hold one extreme position or another extreme position. Mm. And when I would share with them my position on an issue, they would literally tell me, we can't really have you in the show because your position is too um, um, well thought out. Right. And we need someone who has an extreme position. And I think that's part of the problem is that uh, whether it's in the news, whether it's in the media, um, we're being bombarded by extreme positions. And we're actually becoming um, incapable of really complex and thoughtful uh, reasoning. And I want to I want us to have conversations about how to think, not what to think. Right. I think that's the interesting thing. Even with with politics, politics um, survives and thrives on the polarization of, of humanity. They yeah. they that you you can't have um, everyone gets along. That that is quote unquote not 
not um, not democracy, right? That would be socialism or whatever it would be. But actually, Jesus' perspective—not that we really even use that language—but to have a perspective that is fully influenced by Jesus, I think, would be to have a perspective that would be above just polarizing uh, one human and another, whether you're gay or straight, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, whether you're good and evil. I think that that was the whole point of Jesus, right, is that he was bringing everyone together kind of inside of the church and having this conversation with throughout humanity. I think that's one of the things you do so uniquely that we did a series – what is it? Uh, the truth between the, the, us. The truth between us, and and even more recently, uh, you use Joshua one and talking about uh, the promise. The process is the promise, mm-hmm. and that, that if we're not working through all of these issues and actually breaking down all of these things, if we're not breaking new territory, going past and beyond the point of no return, mm-hmm. then we're actually not actually going to the promise that God has for us. Mm-hmm. And I think as as believers, so often we stop at that line because going beyond it and actually thinking in a new way. Mm-hmm. Uh, terrifies us so much because we think that the promise is within the point of no return but actually the promise is beyond the point of no return That's the so point where, where god has yeah. actually calling us to yeah and when we think about thinking um a lot of times we think well great thinkers are logical hmm. and or great thinkers are intellectual or practical yeah or great thinkers um are imaginative but i actually think the highest level of thinking is connected to empathy Wow. It's not about your ability to imagine. It's not about your ability to gather data or um, the, the um, depth of your intellect. It's not about your ability to be logical. Your ability to be empathetic, to see things from the other person's perspective, to understand the way they see reality, to be able to step into their space. The more you're capable of getting out of your own subjective space and see life from someone else's vantage point... I, I'm convinced uh, the better a thinker you actually are. It, the thinking is like a muscle. And if you don't exercise a muscle, it loses its capacity to have its strength. And, uh, you know, we play basketball together and I, I've come to figure out I jump off the wrong leg. I jump like I'm left-handed. I hold the ball like I'm right-handed. My right. body is confused. <laughs> and, uh, and so the art of doing something really simple like a layup is actually really, really hard for me. But you can shoot threes all day. That's because my body understands that motion. <laughs> and, but that's a perfect example. It's that uh, thinking is, is like becoming ambidextrous. It's, it's, it's like learning how to use your left hand rather than just your right hand. And so even when I was young, when I first learned about Leonardo da Vinci and I learned that he was ambidextrous and he could use both his right and left hand, I began um, developing early on. Uh, the ability to use both hands. And so I, I was a right-handed passer, so I learned how to throw the football um, as well left-handed. I, I played ping-pong with right hand, so I learned how to play ping-pong with left hand. A lot of people think I did that just to be competitive, but actually it was because I understood that I was um, actually um, actualizing, I was, I was mobilizing a different part of my brain. So it wasn't just about learning how to use my left and my right hand. It wasn't just about learning how to jump off my left or right foot. It was, it was forcing my brain to... Um, experience reality from a different place. And it's the same way with um, looking at the scriptures. Like, let's start there, looking at the Bible. Because a lot of uh, the people listening to us are people who really, um, they build their lives on the truth of the scriptures. They're followers of Jesus. And yet what happens a lot of times is that we're not actually reading the Bible. We're reading everything we've been told about the Bible. Right. So we're, we're superimposing our already preset convictions on a passage of scriptures. Uh, when I grew up playing chess, 
they would tell me there's two ways of playing the table. You can actually play the pieces on the board or you can play the pieces in your imagination on the board. And there were really two boards. And a lot of times I would make a mistake on the physical board because I didn't see the board in my imagination properly. I saw the pieces in the wrong places. When we come to the Bible, we don't realize it, but we have all of this stuff that we're bringing to the Bible rather than pulling things out of the Bible. I think one of the reasons I see the Bible differently is that I was a good, solid, pure pagan. Mm. <laughs> I, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up with faith. I'd never seen a Bible my entire life. Right. I didn't know the story of Moses. I certainly didn't know anything about Elijah. And it was all new. I didn't know who Jesus' disciples were. I didn't know who his crew was. I didn't know who he hung with. And, uh, all that was new for me. I didn't know there was you know, 66 books in the Bible. I thought the book of Romans which should be back with the book of Kings. And, and so when I first started reading the Bible, I didn't have anything that was bringing it into the Bible. I didn't have already pre-held beliefs that I needed to um, validate because of the Bible. So I, I think some of it is always coming to things um, as if you uh, are a novice. If you if you step into something as an expert, your likelihood to learn is diminished dramatically. Wow. You have to come in as a beginner. You have to come in with fresh eyes. You have to come in as if you know nothing. And one of the, and that's true not just in reading the Bible. It's actually true in every arena of life. Um, <clears throat> but it's also important to also to see things from the perspectives of everyone else in the room. Like when I um, one time I was I was um, doing a talk on. Israel being delivered out of Egypt. But one of my friends, Bassam, who was Egyptian, was sitting on the front row. And the moment I started talking about Egypt, I looked at him and I realized, I have an Egyptian in the room. He is literally seeing the Bible from Egypt's side, not from Israel's side. Wow. And let me tell you, it dramatically affected how I told that story that day. So how did you tell it differently? Yeah, well, first of all, I had to start looking at it from Egypt's perspective. Um, you know, you have this, this nation inside of a nation that suddenly has grown so large that they've terrified you. They are threatening what you think is your livelihood. And so instead of um, connecting that your nation has been blessed because this nation inside of your nation has been blessed, they actually began to enslave them. And you begin to see this whole thing from the other side. And it's true with even like David and Goliath. When we, when we read the Bible, we're always David. We're never Goliath, you know. Right. And uh, every devotional is, and this is what you need to learn about being the David. Right. You know, sometimes the truth is you're Goliath. You're actually you're you're the, fighting against God. You're the monster you're ruining the people's monster lives. You're the monster that everybody's trying to bring down. Right. And, you know, you're, you're, you're not uh, Hosea. Um, who is called to marry Gomer, who's a prostitute. Hmm. You may be Gomer, who's a prostitute, and you hmm. need to believe there's a Hosea out there wow. who will love you as broken as you are. Wow. And, and so a huge part of it for me is, first of all, coming to every passage um, with no assumptions, coming, at, coming into it as, as if I'm ignorant. And I don't know anything. I let the passage speak to me rather than to speak to the passage. The second thing I do is I try to see it from everyone's vantage point and the perspective, to see it both from Hosea and Gomer's side, to see it both from, um, you know, Peter's side and the Roman who just lost his ear. <laughs> you know, we're, right. we're never advocating for that poor Roman guy doing his job. Yeah. Just doing what he's supposed to do. Yeah. And uh, he comes and takes Jesus, and he's not even looking in Peter's direction. There's he's no just way, doing his job. But there's no way a fisherman could um, 
out battle a Roman soldier, a warrior trained for battle. So what that means is that this Roman soldier had no idea that this fisherman was going to grab a sword <laughs> and swing at his head. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, you think Jesus' disciples would, would respond differently. <laughs> right. Can you imagine me, that guy, that moment, you know, when that sword just misses your head, takes your ear, and then Jesus reattaches it. I think a huge part of, of thinking, because this is what we're really talking about, is how to think. It, you, the way to think is to try to lay all your preconceived opinions on the table, to realize you do have opinions, you have a perspective, you have stuff you're bringing into every conversation, hmm. and to take the time to understand things from the other, other side, which is true even politically. I, I mean, I'd always say the, the problem with our political debate is that um, Democrats think Republicans are stupid, and Republicans think that Democrats are evil. <laughs> <laughs> so you got stupid and evil people trying to have a conversation with each right. other. Right. And, Being stupid and evil. Yeah, and, and what's amazing to me is that it doesn't matter what the issue is. It, it, the moment it's, it's environmentalism, you have two ex- different extremes, you know, whether it's um, health care. And what's really important is to go, okay, there can be a thoughtful, intelligent, um, God-loving follower of Jesus who holds the opposite position from you. Hmm. And you don't fully understand this position until you can see it from their perspective. And by the way, this is true in this arena we call evangelism. You know, I, I, I get the, the joy of seeing so many of my friends come to know Jesus who are um, atheists and Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims and everything else. And a lot of times people ask me, well, how, how are you good at this? And it's really simple. I see the world from their eyes, through their eyes. I, I, I'm not trying to make them see it from my perspective. I'm trying to see the world from theirs. I mean, the best way to talk to a person is from their world, not from your world. And the more you can understand and empathize from another person's perspective, mm. it allows you to have a more, more textured, more intelligent way of talking to them. So I, I think learning how to think is so important because it's, it's true in the communication process. Like um, a lot of great Christian communicators out there and who were just so compelling and so powerful, um, but they would not thrive in our space. And, and a, a huge reason for that is um, they begin the conversation, let's say if there's an A to Z, they begin the conversation at L or K or P. They how so? Can you be more, like more specific? So you're yeah. talking like how a communicator would already project the fact that the audience he's listening to is, are already believers. Right. That would be the like, main probably well, issue, right? Like when you say, um, like, uh, you know, when, when you say, hey, um, when you walk on stage and go, if you love Jesus, would you just cheer with me? Or if you love the church, would you just, you know, uh, do, give do it up? Do you feel like and, in that moment they've already lost the room? I, I do. And they, well, no, they didn't lose the room. They won the room that they know how to win, and they lost everyone who doesn't believe. Because it, you've, you've, already asked, you've already asked people to separate themselves. You've asked them to identify themselves as whether they're in or not. Right. And, uh, like, I would never begin like that. In fact, I almost never would end like that because it, to me, it's like I'm talking to all of humanity. I'm not just talking to Christians. I'm not just talking to the church. I'm not talking to people who believe. I'm talking to everyone. So then you would also get the, 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 the contrasting statement that 
Christians wouldn't feel addressed as much inside of Mosaic or when you preach, even though you so clearly preach from the Bible, from mm-hmm. the scriptures, from your past mm-hmm. of being a follower of Christ, but you also very much speak to the individual who is furthest from God. And I feel, I feel like being your son, hearing both sides, that you talk to the individual who doesn't know God and you talk to the person who does know God right. and you're lifting both of them up and you're trying to bring both of them together. Absolutely, because here's the thing. There are things that apply to Christians that do not apply to non-Christians. Hmm. Like um, giving? No, no. Well, um, well, like morality. Morality, right. <laughs> if, without you know, the context like, of Christ. Like I always think it's interesting that we keep trying to make people without Jesus moral, as if that's what Jesus came to do. <laughs> I, you know, I have no expectations of a person that doesn't believe in God, but right. I have a lot of expectations of you, right. both as a follower of Christ and as a pastor. But like, let's say if we say... Man, it's so good, you know, um, it's so good that Jesus saves us. That's a true statement. But only a person who already believes in Jesus would even understand what that means. Okay. So here's like a subtle difference. You could say, hey, man, it's so good people got saved. Everyone who understands that goes, it's wonderful. Everyone who's not a follower of Christ is going, what does that mean? What are they saving us from? Yeah. <laughs> and then some people might, might be even about. offended going, what do I need to be saved from? But right. if you say... Man, it's such a beautiful thing that, that um, all these people have come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. You've, you've taken just a little bit more, more work, but you've explained it so that, that everyone in the room can understand what you're saying. Right. So it's not that the language is wrong. It's limited. Hmm. And so it actually isolates the room. Uh, it, you ever had a conversation that just uses big words? Yes. And, and, you know, and they want to use big words so that you don't know what they mean. Right. It's because they want to let you know that you are beneath them, outside of them, not one of them. Right. And it's I, I, so I love the fact that it was Einstein who said that you don't understand something until you can explain it simply. And I, I feel the same way with um, with our faith, with the scriptures, and with young communicators. Right. I that's think that's, right. That if you could say, can you say that again? Because I think that's the thing that every young communicator needs to actually write down on their soul, life, computer, everything they ever write. It should start from the simplest. Idea, the inception of the idea. That's right. Well, one is that I go, okay, if it isn't simple, it's because you don't understand it. Right. <laughs> and that, that's how I can, actually, I can actually tell if a person understands a subject. Right. Because if, if they can't explain it simply, they don't understand it. Hmm. And uh, you can take complex things and once you, once you understand them, you can explain them to a 10-year-old. But I say as a, as a communicator, be careful not to become a celebrity by using jargon. Wow. Because once you're using jargon, once you're using cliches, and yes, biblical language can be jargon. Give some examples. Um, praise God. <laughs> it's a true statement. Yeah. But it is jargon. Right, right, right. And in that it creates an instantaneous response from people who already believe hmm. that your actual point may not deserve. <laughs> right. And because uh, right. like, if I'm having to say, you know, can we, uh, you know, can we, can we thank God for what I just said? The reason you're having to say that is because no one thanked God for what you just said. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, right. Yeah, you know, what you say should be profound, not the fact that you've just told everybody it was profound. Right. I was speaking at this event okay. in, in Australia, and on the way there, um, yeah, I think it was Melbourne or somewhere, and, and on the way they said, hey, whenever you, sp- um, you give a truth, everyone will just absolutely respond. And so they're saying, so like, you know, we really encourage you like to, like to give truths because people were just absolutely like cheer and, and shout and clap. And I said, so 
Are you saying that every time I say something that everyone already believes they're going to like just shout me down? They go, yes. Right. And I said, yeah, that's not really the way it works for me because I didn't fly across the world to give a message about something everyone already knows. Hmm. It just wouldn't be worth my time because if I'm just going to preach what everyone already knows, just get someone that's 30 minutes away. Okay. And I want to unwrap truths that you're not really sure if you even agree yet, but they're disturbing and they, um, and they actually, um, destabilize you. And, um, and, so and, I, and a lot of Christians have problems with that, right? And we're going a little off topic of what do you think <laughs> and maybe into to how you think and how you explain this. But no, when you, when you, you don't preach to just encourage, and that's, and I think you don't preach just to educate. You're not just a teacher or an encourager. And I think a lot of preachers, especially or communicators even now, are just encouragers. Mm-hmm. They just say the things that people already know so they feel good about themselves. So when they leave and go on, and they, they, they feel like this like ecstasy of, oh, I feel like I've heard something that I know is so true. And But you really do. I, I know that sometimes people come to Mosaic and they leave shook. Like their soul has, has, has actually been like stirred up so much that it's not just an emotional experience mm-hmm. that they're, they're, actually, they're actually left in a place that maybe is hard for them to get back to on their own. So how do you, how do you deal with that? Because, because what you're doing is, is just as dangerous. Right. I want to devastate a person's view of reality. <laughs> right, because then how do you reshape that reality and bring it to a place where it makes them whole? Uh, because I, I, but I think it's the only way that you can actually help a person. And, no, but I'm saying what do you do after that? Right. Two weeks ago, we flew across the country, Kim and I. Hold on. No, I'm asking. I'm asking. And right before I spoke, the person said, hey, people here just need to be inspired, not challenged. Okay. And I looked at Kim and I said, then why would they bring me? Right. And it, it, it's true that most of our preaching is focused on inspiring. Right. And oftentimes what inspiring means is to reinforce what people already believe because then people feel safe. When you when you reinforced what they already believe, so then how how do you say? I didn't answer my question, but how do you say <laughs> that? Um, what response to churches who are growing rapidly with people who they say are, are coming to Jesus for the first time, but they're really only preaching on things that that they know that, that they believe, right? Well, that people one, I'm so believe. excited that people are coming to Jesus. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's you know, no there's no knock on it. Yeah. There's no critique. But how how do you explain that, right? Like the person who doesn't know Jesus and being brought into maybe one of the most bizarre situations where a bunch of people are talking about things they already know about. Mm-hmm. How do, how can you explain that? Okay. Well, I want to go back to your question where you're saying, uh, how do you after you've devastated a person's view of reality, how do you help a person move to wholeness? Yeah, because I, I feel because the reason why is because I feel like a lot of people don't always come every week because they actually physically can't take it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think it, it messes mm-hmm. with their core so much that it takes them weeks to process. How do we do that? Yeah, I think that's, uh, that may be a really good point. Yeah. And, um, it's not a critique. I'm, I'm yeah. genuinely like, yeah, again, I think in images, cause I think like, you know, if you, if you have a broken leg and you don't have it reset, it actually heals wrong. You can never run. And the only way to heal that leg is to break it hmm. and reset it. And we want to somehow be healed without having to go through the breaking process. But so our souls have been reset improperly. Wow. And so when we think that, one, we can do life without God, um, we have to break that bone to reset it. Wow. When um, we think that God um, is going to make everything okay, 
and we're, we become embittered with God because he didn't make everything okay. We have to break that moan and reset it. We have to change your view of reality so that you can actually begin to thrive in reality. And, you know, and I think that that's uh, even just this idea that somehow if you're in the will of God, you're, you're, in, you're always in a safe place, that bad things won't happen to you if you're in the will of God. Right. I mean, I, I, I feel like that's one of the bones I had to break. And this, this statement has gotten you in a lot of trouble over you the know, years. 20 years ago when I said, you know, being in the center of the will of God is the most dangerous place in the world. And uh, I did not get a great response, you know, because the Christian messaging is when you're in the center of the will of God, um, you don't die. You don't get hurt. You don't like, have loss. And, and maybe this is a callous statement, but I feel like most Christian churches sell safety. It's, I agree, and I and think the that's, Bible is so not that it's yeah. it's selling, r- r- taking risks. It's the yeah. heroic narrative that you talk about, the old Old Testament, Jesus's story. That's right. That, that cross was not a safe place, <laughs> and, and so somehow having faith meant being safe, right? Rather than having faith meant uh, being at risk, right? And what happened to our language yeah. somewhere along the way? I mean, here's the thing. And you talk, and real quick, you talk about that in the barbarian way so much. When did we become so civilized? When did we become so so, domesticated? So domesticated. Yeah. When did we lose the barbarian way of our roots? Mm -hmm. And and how? And and I think that's the the brilliance of that book. And if you haven't read that, that you need to because that would change your life. That's changed so many people's lives. Yes. Okay. Okay. We're not finished. We're just. Out of time. <laughs> See you tomorrow, next week, soon. I don't know. We're, we're, what, this come back a, often? It's going to be a daily podcast except the days that we don't podcast. Yeah, a daily podcast except for the days we don't podcast. See you then. See you then. <laughs> <laughs> uh.